Well, good morning, Carpenters Way. Uh, this is my grandson, the most perfect baby ever born, next to his grandfather. And, uh, you know, I, I, my kids are in town for Memorial Day weekend, and so we're spending some time together. And I, I want to say a few things about Memorial Day. Um, first of all, as you are probably aware by this point, Memorial Day is one of two holidays that we have each year. We'll remember soldiers. Uh-oh. He's, he's, he doesn't have a sin nature, so he won't start to rebel. But, um, but the first one is Veterans Day, where we honor those who serve uh, and have served. But this holiday is actually for uh, those who have given their life. And I, I love John, the verse in John. Oh, we got to impress them. Zach, would you come join me, please? <laughs> Thank you. This is my son, Zach, you've never seen before. Also the perfect baby, yes. Um, but I, I, uh, so, so we, have a, we have a holiday that we honor those who have served and are still alive and those who are still serving. That's Veterans Day. But this holiday is for those who have passed away, and it is a solemn occasion, no doubt about it. Um, but you know, it is funny as we think about that. Uh, many of you, in fact, somebody, uh, Tammy this morning was, I put, uh, we put a, 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 a Memorial Day uh, tribute picture on our Facebook page and Tammy wrote uh, this morning about a relative of hers that had passed away in a war. And uh, I, I think Hav has written some things about Vietnam. And, and the truth is, uh, I, I have an uncle who passed away in Vietnam as well. And, and the truth is that it wasn't just them that, that made the sacrifice. It is, it's their families. Uh, as you grill out tomorrow or do what you will do this year, um, those families will have an empty seat at the table. And the reason they do that is so kids like my grandkids can have a great future. And there is so much emotion right now in our country, and some of it is the government isn't doing enough. If you're on that side of the political aisle, everything's become politicized. And then there are others that say the government is overreaching and need to leave us alone. Um, I just want to say we live in a great country. Um, no matter what you think politically about what's gone on because of the pandemic, I know there's a lot of fear over the government's overreach and look what it could mean for the future. And there are some that are even saying that they are infringing on the rights of churches. And I am so pleased that our president, any president, whether it's Trump or it would have been Obama or the next president, it's great when a president says that the churches are essential because this is really where we find our hope. That, that is absolutely true. It is essential. But I do want to make it clear, family of God, the state, the federal government have not infringed on our rights in any sense. I have never received a letter saying, don't talk about the Bible. I've never seen anybody say, don't preach the truth. Nobody has said, we're going to arrest you if you do this. I know that there are some states that um, are arresting pastors and different things for gathering in this time of pandemic. And whatever you feel about that, that is very different than persecution because of the truth. That is, uh, that is infringing on a group's right to meet, whether it's an Old Navy store, a personal restaurant, and we can argue that all day, but we still live in the greatest country next to Israel that has ever been in the history of the world, and our rights are protected. That's not within question at this point, and it may be in the future, and we'll have to stand up, but what, what an amazing thing, and I say all that to say this. Thank you guys who have lost family members in war, whether it was Iran or Iraq, Afghanistan, in the towers of Vietnam, wherever your family have served, World War II, 
um, they died in their own small piece of the war so that my grandson Sam could have constitutional rights to worship God and study the scriptures and be convicted in his heart through the Holy Spirit to walk with God. That is the freedom to worship. Uh, and I just, I just want to say thank you. I have not given that. I have not given my life um, to die for that. And what's really cool is about that verse in John that Jesus is speaking when he says that greater love has no man than this, that one would lay down his life for his friends. He's not talking about himself yet. He goes on to talk about himself, but he's actually talking about people who have given their life for others. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful country. And I, I think it'd be really cool to begin this morning by taking a moment and thanking God for our country. I don't think we thank him enough for what we experience here. You have the right to post on Facebook whatever hateful things you want to write. You have the same right out of the same mouth to thank God for what you have. And I would encourage you, based upon the New Testament, to choose your words carefully and may they be seasoned with grace. But this country gives you the right, unlike China, where if you trash the government, you disappear, that's not going to happen here. And thank God for that. Um, so let's take a moment and let's thank God for our country. Father, we are fully aware this morning that, uh, Lord, I, I'm not afraid, except in some weird circumstance, I am not afraid for my life this morning. It is not usual in the United States of America for a church to be shut down by the government because of what they're saying. That's unusual. It is not the usual behavior of this country uh, to hinder speech. What a wonderful gift we have. Whether a person is a Satanist or a worshiper of the Savior, what a wonderful thing to be able to speak truth and debate and, and, and share the hope that we have in Jesus. And I thank you for that, Father. I thank you that right now in Washington and all over this country, there's a debate on what, what the government has the right to do as it relates to churches. We would not have that debate if it weren't for those who have gone to war, who have fought to give us the right to debate it. And whether somebody's on the right or the left, we thank you for a country that allows you to be on the right or the left. Now, Father, may we as your children remember to use our rights to build up and not tear down, to, to, to focus people on eternal things. We love you, Lord. We do trust you. Now help us act like it. And God, I, th I, I do think of those this morning that are mourning the loss of a relative. Father, we have lost many men and women in the Middle East over the past 15 or 20 years. Many, many, many. And then we've, we've lost the hearts and minds of many who fought over there and came back who struggle with PTSD who struggle with adapting to life back in, in, in this kind of, uh, of life. Father, we pray that you would be the healer of marriages, the healer of hearts. And I pray that tomorrow as we celebrate those who paid the ultimate sacrifice so we could grill out or shop or whatever it is we're going to do, may we take a time to say thank you, God, for, for men and women of courage. May we, Father, be men and women of courage. We do love you, and we're thankful for the gift of America. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we continue to move forward, I want to take a few moments and uh, kind of update you. I know I've been saying this online the last few days, but I want to make sure everybody's on the same page. Uh, again, I'm so thankful for a president that recognizes the right and necessity of church to assemble, to offer hope in a, in a time that's kind of scary and unnerved. I do want to remind you, though, that, uh, uh, that uh, um, they have also set some strict regulations 
And uh, we, Carpenter's Way is beginning the process of opening up, but it's, it's under strong oversight. And what I mean by that is uh, on Sundays, um, we, we structure, as I've talked to them, I can spend a lot of time on this, but basically our church is broken down into ministry churches, little groups, Bible studies, if you want to call them, or small groups that meet every week in normal times. And uh, so over the next, uh, what we're going to do as long as we are not wide open, and why can't we wide open? Well, th- there's several reasons. Number one, we can't have child care at this time. Um, and that's obvious. Uh, we don't want to spread this thing. Um, churches that have opened, we're trying to be careful because churches that have opened in the last three weeks are seeing this thing spread in those churches. And uh, if a church does that, they have to be closed down for two weeks to quarantine every one of their families. There's a lot of stuff that goes into these decisions, and we're doing the best we can with our leadership team, just like every church in this community, to try to meet the needs of the flock. With that being the case, each week we're going to be inviting uh, two more Bible study groups in, two or three, and uh, we want you to worship with us in-house. We are under strict uh, guidelines from the CDC in the state of Texas. There's 36 square feet around every family or individual. Uh, Basically what that means, and you can't see this room, but we've taken out half the chairs. That was necessary. And then beyond that, there has to be four chairs between each family group and the next. So in other words, we're at about 15 to 20% of our normal occupancy. That means in order to have normal services every week, we'd have to have five or six services. And actually, we feel like that's more effective online. And once a month, we want to give you a chance to be back here in this room and to worship with us live. This may go on for another couple months. We are not conceding to the government. The truth is still spoken. Don't worry about it. We, we love the word as much as you do, I promise. Uh, but you will be invited if you're not part of a Bible study group, and I'm thankful for all of those that are doing this. If you're not part of a Bible study group and you go to Carpenter's Way, if you'll just email me, I will put a Bible study leader in touch with you, and you can come on the week they're coming. But we want you in here. We want you worshiping, and we encourage you to continue to worship in safety. Now, I also want to say this. There are some of you that are uh, at risk, whether it's because of age or health issues. Please be wise. You put a seatbelt on when you get in your car. Be wise. Be wise. You don't, uh, this is a programming thing. Uh, when you feel safer, you can come back, and if you have needs, communicate with us. Stay in touch with your Bible study group. Most of them are having weekly gatherings, whether it's through email or Zoom, or we keep doing that because you need that fellowship, and it is fellowship. So uh, we love you. Be smart. Be wise. Uh, be here when your Bible study group comes in. I wish we could have everybody back together right now, but we can't. And uh, that'll happen here in the near future. And uh, I did get a question again recently. When are we going to open the church wide? And, and what they mean is normal. They mean Bible study, children's ministry, and all that. The answer to that is I assume that'll happen when everybody starts going back to sporting events, when people go back to movie theaters, when schools start up again. That's when everything gets to normal. There's no reason not to meet at that time. So until then, we're going to be wise. But even then, we're going to tell you to be wise. If you're older, if you have difficulty with health, please please be smart. So if you have any questions about that, uh, that's kind of where we stand. The elders or I would be glad to talk with you about it, but that's where we are. Keep fellowshipping with your Bible study group. Keep logging in and watching us. Uh, Keep uh, keep giving. Keep praying. Keep keep ministering to each other. For those of you, it's so wonderful to have you back in this place. We love you, and uh, let's let's focus back on the Lord. Chad, why don't you take us into worship?
the cross our way to freedom the cross our wrath to bear but God so rich in mercy took our place and saved us there lift him high our praise to Jesus lift him high for all to see lift him high the cross of Calvary where mercy died to set us free our King our King who reigns victorious now sits upon his throne forever he is worshipped glory to our God alone lift him high our praise to Jesus lift him high for
Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Everything else is worthless Compared to knowing Christ my Lord And the power that raised you from the dead Your love cannot be
Be. 
Savior's love for me. I am confident that you love that song as much as I do. And uh, as we sing these songs, you know, our, I think my brain is geared to go one direction um, in the song, and I'm thinking about how much God loves me. I mean, that's what the song says, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. But I just want to remind you that that same marvelous, outrageous, awesome, un- unknowable love, that agape, that unconditional from Him to us kind of love, it's the same for your neighbor. It's just as marvelous. Uh, or the person you don't like. Or the person that politically you wish would just go away. I, I just As we get into this political season with heightened energies and passion, just remember that above all that's going on in our country, God loves them so much, even the abortion doctor that he gave his only begotten son so that they wouldn't have to perish, so they wouldn't have to be condemned. And I just just feel like, boy, church, we got to remember that. It's not just you he loves, he loves them too. And we've got to be careful with our rhetoric. And I know I I had some say, man, what are you talking about? I'm talking about Facebook. I'm talking about things we write that we really mean, but we're not thinking about it. Remember that our words need to be seasoned with grace because Jesus loves them. He loves them. Uh, and uh, as much as Jesus was a Jew, he ministered to Samaritans. Just remember that. Um, I want to jump right into today's text. Oh, man, what, a, what an awesome week of study. Um, very thoughtful, very timely. Luke chapter 17 is where we're going to be this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, it'll be on the screen for you. I want to jump right in there. Luke chapter 17, I want to read the whole text, and then we're going to work through it slowly. One day, the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, The kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for, or some translations say, because the reason for this is the kingdom of God is already actually among you. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns, but you won't see it. People will tell you, look, there's the Son of Man here, or here he is, but don't go out and follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man comes. But first, but first the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. Verse 26, when the Son of Man returns, it'll be just like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat, and flood came and destroyed them all. And the world we, uh, will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building, until the morning that Lot, Lot left Sodom. Then fire and, brimstone, uh, fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person will be out on the deck of a roof, must not go down into the house to pack. A person... Out in the field, must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. And if you let your life go, you'll save it. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be uh, grinding flour together at a mill. One will be taken, the other left. Where will this happen, Lord? The disciples asked. 
Jesus replied, just as gathering of vultures shows that there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. I, I want to take a moment <clears throat> and I want to pray and I want to ask God to help me communicate clearly to you. I want to ask God to, uh, let's just pray. God, please don't let me overspeak this text. Don't let me underspeak the text. And above all, I pray that my words would fade away and that the words of God would endure forever. Lord, we come to the text with prejudices, with ideas and thoughts on our own, our own convictions. But Lord Jesus, it is not our convictions that bring about truth. It is yours. It is your plan. So change us, Lord Jesus. Change us from the inside out. And wherever our, our family finds themselves this morning, whether it's on the beach of Galveston or in their living room or in their backyard eating breakfast or in this room, Father, Please change us. Give us ears to hear and hearts to be transformed by the power of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. For those of you who think the Bible is an antiquated book, boy, I tell you, you haven't read it enough. This, uh, this text in particular has so much relevance to where we are with the questions we're asking today. You simply haven't read this book if you don't think it has any relevance. While the issues and technology were different back in the biblical times, the questions were exactly the same because ultimately, while technology changes and who leads the world changes, the feel or mojo of life doesn't change. It's just as chaotic, it's just as scary, just in many ways as disappointing and out of control feeling as they were right in the Bible days and especially during a pandemic. Now that things seem to be waning, we're starting to really see people's attitudes come out. People for opening, people against opening, people frustrated with the government, people pro-government. And now we're going into a political season where the church is going to be activated at such a high pitch. In Jesus' day, they also worried about government authorities. They worried about their health. They worried about people around them. That's why they went to Jesus for healing. That's why uh, they went to Jesus for clarification on the kingdom, which we're going to get into in today's text. They were especially bothered by their predisposed prejudices, just like we have today. The Jews did not like the Samaritans. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews. The Jews resented the Gentiles, especially those in leadership over them. And the Romans looked down on the Jews like they were dumb and they were tiny. Whether you are a Jesus follower this morning or simply curious about the Bible, this text, this morning's conversation is relevant to your life in 2020. And man, did it hit me between the eyes this week. So let's jump into the text. Jesus and his disciples are now on their way back to Jerusalem. They're returning from a short exile after raising Lazarus from the dead. You'll remember a few weeks ago we studied that. The, the, uh, the Hebrew religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, decide that the time for talk is over, the time for trying to figure out what to do with Jesus is done, and now it's time to kill him. And they have activated a plan. The plan is in action now. They're going to try to grab Jesus, and if you remember, he actually sneaks out of Jerusalem after uh, he sneaks out of Bethany after raising Lazarus from the dead, and it says that he went into exile. And then in last week's text, you remember that he starts heading back to Jerusalem, and on the way, he stops in a small town between Galilee and Samaria, where he actually heals the ten lepers, and that was last week's message about living faithful. Out of the ten, nine of them are religious Hebrews. One is a Samaritan, and after they're all healed, the other nine go on with their lives, but the Samaritan comes back to worship Jesus. It's not enough 
to ask Jesus for a healing, to ask Jesus for what you want. Because sometimes you get what you want that doesn't make you faithful to him. It, to the best of our understanding of that text, at the end of that story, ten are healed, but only one is saved. And he isn't even a Hebrew. According to Luke, it is after that happens that they are continuing their journey back towards Jerusalem when this story takes place. Luke 17, 20. Uh, one day, the Pharisees asked Jesus, when, do the, when will the kingdom of God come? Whatever the Pharisees' motivation and, and commentators and pastors and theologians all disagree on what they're asking and why they're asking it, the, the truth is this was a relevant question for them to ask. This was a common deba debate among rabbis and the Pharisees. When was the kingdom of God going to come? They hated their lives. The difficulty with which that they tried to perform their Hebrew responsibilities had become unbearable. For the previous, up to this point, 650 years, the Jews were under Gentile tyranny from Babylon to Persia to Greece and now Rome. And no matter what they thought, even under Solomon, as soon as Solomon dies, his four sons split the kingdom up. The kingdom has been a mess for thousands of years. In fact, I might argue that except for a short period of time, the kingdom of the, the nation, the Hebrew nation in the Holy Land, was pretty much a mess all the time. They, they had legendary leadership in Moses. If you go back and read about the Exodus, the, Moses didn't want to do it. He didn't want to lead the people. The people didn't want him to lead. And even the 40 years in the wilderness is wrought with dis, uh, discord, resentment, and hate towards Moses. Moses is towards the people and even Aaron and God. It's an incredible time, but they look back on that as, as kind of the, uh, the most wonderful time in the history. And so this moment in history, they hated. They hated the res their circumstances. They hated the domination of the Gentile nations. And they clung to the promises of the Hebrew prophets that someday God would restore his kingdom. The kingdom promised to Abraham that was an, it was an uh, unconditional covenant, the Abrahamic covenant that he would restore that, and, he, and that gave them hope for the arrival of the Messiah, which they defined as a great warrior king, like in the spirit of Moses, uh, in the spirit of Moses, that he would deliver them into world domination, that the nation of Israel would rule over Gentiles instead of Gentiles ruling over them. And so, as the supernatural rabbi, and nobody was doubting his supernatural abilities at this point. In fact, uh, we could make the point from the Gospel of John that even the religious leaders believed that Jesus had come from the Father. It tells us in John that though they believed he was from God, they refused to worship him because they were afraid of being thrown out of the synagogue. That was more important, being in the synagogue. Their rights, their nationalistic dreams were more important to the average Hebrew than was following God. And this wasn't new at the end of Jesus' ministry, but even in John chapter 3, and you'll remember it, the story of Nicodemus, uh, in, in John 3.16, in John th uh, we have that where Jesus talks about being born again. But even early in John, if you remember, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, we, referring to all the religious leaders, we know by the things that you do that you have been sent from God. So the religious leaders even know that Jesus is a sent one who's to bow the knee but they do have doctrinal conversations with him, and this is an example of that. So they asked the supernatural rabbi that uh, we have learned most believe was God sent one, his thoughts on the subject. And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God isn't or can't be detected by visible signs. Take a breath. Leave that up there, Kevin, for a second. I want you to pay attention to what Jesus just said. 
the kingdom of God, his return, the domination, the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign, whatever you want to call it. This isn't a reference to the rapture. This is the return of the Lord. Can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. Because or for, depending on the translation you have, it could be because is just as good as for, the New Living says, because the kingdom of God is already among you. Can you imagine how frustrating that answer must have been? Jesus just said something that even modern prophecy-obsessed preachers absolutely ignore. You know, it's been interesting through the years to preach, but one of the more common things that I hear is that I don't preach prophecy enough that I need to start explaining prof- prophetic truth. And, and I, I always respond with, well, I preach verse by verse, so when prophecy comes up, I teach. But we need more prophecy. Why? I'll get into that in a few moments. Jesus responded to these religious leaders that were preaching condemnation, judgment of God, which will come when the kingdom comes. They're preaching that, because they see the world as socially injustice, and we feel that sometimes. And Jesus' response is, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. Like modern-day prophecy hawks, who often come out of the woodwork when they don't like what's going on in the world, these guys expected Jesus to say something that they could measure God's sovereign calendar with something they could use to preach judgment and condemnation, often with glee. Often with glee. But Jesus said that you would not be able to detect it with visible signs. And he actually gave a reason for it. Because when you think of the kingdom of God coming, you think of God's judgment upon the earth. But the reason there is nothing out of the ordinary that needs to happen is because it's already among you. The kingdom of God is among you. These Pharisees, and I want to add Christians today, which we have a lot in common with the Pharisees, remember that the Pharisees saw themselves as the right-wing doctrinal and and, uh, cultural conservatives of their day. They maintained the teachings of the Old Testament scriptures without understanding the prophetic truth that God would one day send a Redeemer, that he would be proclaimed by somebody before him, John the Baptist, that you would be able to recognize him because he would make the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf would hear, and the dead would rise again, all things Jesus did. They refused to study those scriptures. They completely ignored the parts of Isaiah, which talks about his own people rejecting him, coming as a lamb to be slaughtered, and they ignored that for the parts of scripture that talked about him coming Um, and, and avenging injustice for the Jewish nation. While that is true, that's not the purpose for which Jesus came. And Jesus has been preaching this the whole time. He has preached, well, um, I'll get there in a moment. But the Pharisees and Christians get frustrated, who are frustrated with government or, or morality or their life in the world, often say, and you can go back in the past Well, I remember as a kid in the 1980s, and that used to not sound as old as it does now, but in the 1980s, I remember the book being made into a movie and being in the theaters, The Late Great Planet Earth. I remember the author saying, if the Lord doesn't come back by the 1990s or something, you picked a date, then this is all false. Well, the Lord didn't come back in 1998 or whatever he said, and in fact, that 
that guy who wrote that book stopped preaching until the last five years, and guess what? He's saying it again. I was wrong, now I'm right. I mean, prophecy hawks always say when the next crisis comes up, where it's the Middle East wars, whether it's the nation of Israel being restored to her homeland, they always say, see, it's in our lifetime. And you know this because your grandparents taught your parents who taught you that the return of the Lord is near. For those of us who grew up in the 70s, you remember uh, the movie series, The Thief in the Night. And we went to see those movies and our churches showed them and we all thought we would end up that the rapture was any minute and that we would be thrown into a big dam. Remember the guys thrown off the dam in that badly made movie with the clock, tick, 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 and we were all afraid. I remember as a kid going in my backyard and seeing a weird cloud one day and getting on my knees in the backyard next to the trash can, which I was taking to the curb, and praying that I had all my sins, dear Jesus, forgive me for all my sins. I know I haven't been a good boy, but save me because I know you're returning. And he didn't come back. Because I had associated signs with his return. And, and one of the things that as a preacher frustrates me so much, and you've heard me talk about this, one of the things that's so hard for me is you are so easily manipulated because your feelings of frustration, like right now in the pandemic, you, you want justice as you see it. You want right done. You want the church opened and everybody protected. You want our country not to go socialist. Whatever you're feeling right now, you want that. And, and, and when you don't get any satisfaction from our governmental officials that you put your trust in, that you expect things to happen from, you jump to, well, God's about to fix it. He's about to fix it. And what we mean is he's coming down here and he is going to rain fire down on the evil people. The problem is he never does. They expected the same thing. Which is why Jesus was very clear. This is not ambiguous in verse 21. Pharisees, you won't be able to see, uh, able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. This is powerful because Jesus Christ came to fulfill the kingdom work. Again, more on that in a moment. After Jesus says this to them, the Pharisees, he turns to the disciples in verse 22, and he says, the time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns, but you won't see it. Now, let me tell you something. This is specific for these men. What he is saying is it's going to get really nasty, and you're going to cry out from your crosses that you're dying on, or you're being boiled in oil, or Thomas, you're going to be stoned to death. And as they're throwing rocks at you, you're going to look up into heaven and say, this is a good time to return. But you're not going to see it. Because it's not time. God's kingdom is being worked out in the presence, in front of us, in ways that we cannot see or even fathom, but we wish we could see. But for the disciples, they would not see in their lifetimes. Then he gives, goes on to give a warning to the disciples in verse 23. He says, people will tell you, look, there's the Son of Man, or here he is, but don't go out and follow them. Let me pause, because again, I want to give you some context for that phrase. He is telling the disciples, remember, I've told you before, that one of the things that's true about the biblical times is that Jesus was only one of hundreds, if not thousands of men, who claimed to be the Son of Man or the sent one from God. They claimed that. That's what they thought was happening. And, and Jesus is saying, be careful, I've proven that I'm him. You've even seen me raise the dead. I'm that guy. But other people are going to tell you, look, there he is. 
He knows that he's going to die on the cross. He knows they're going to wonder and doubt, and he is warning them, don't listen to others. Your heart is going to think there's somebody else out there, but be careful. People will tell you, look, there's the Son of Man, or here he is. For those of you who haven't been in our study, the name Son of Man is a prophetic name from Jesus from the book of Daniel that all the Jews associated with the Messiah. The, the word Messiah is very rarely seen in, Hebrews, in the Hebrew language, if ever. He's called the Son of Man. He's called the Anointed One. And so that is what that's talking about. But don't go out and believe them, he says, and follow them. Verse 24, why not? For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man comes. In other words, while there's people over here that claim to be the Son of Man, and there's a person over here that claims to be the Son of Man, and you're going to be tempted to follow them, I'm here to tell you that when he returns, everybody's going to know it. Like when lightning strikes, and everybody sees it 50 miles that way, and 50 miles that way, and they hear it if they don't see it, I'm telling you, it isn't going to be a calm thing on the horizon. You're not going to have to hear rumors of this guy. When he returns, when I return, everybody's going to know it like lightning strikes. But that time is not yet. Verse 25. Why? Because first, the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. Now I want to put this all together for you. This is really important. After telling the Pharisees that they can't look around and see signs, that the return of the Son of Man can be measured by literal events on the earth. The reason is, is because the king is actually at work among them. He says the kingdom is already working out. It's already working. But remember that when the Pharisees think of the kingdom, they think of condemnation, judgment, fire from heaven, uh, hail and brimstone. When modern-day prophets think of the kingdom of God coming, it's exactly the same. You will rarely hear a message on the kingdom of God, the return of the Lord, without it being a judgment message. I want to remind you that the return of the Lord, whether it be the rapture or the second coming, is the great hope of the church. It's also the great hope of Israel. It is when justice will, in fact, reign. But we have become sort of twisted, and the Jews were sort of twisted in some sort of twisted glee in the condemnation of the world. That's why when I, after we sang that last song, um, How Marvelous is God's Love for Me? That's what made me think about it. Is I was thinking about the message in this text, and I realized that every time I sing that romantically inclined song, I'm thinking about me. Oh, gosh, thank you for loving me so much. And I get that. But I never think about the person I don't like. Nancy Pelosi or Donald Trump. Whoever. Whoever politically drives you nuts. Whoever. Racist. People who kill infants before they're born. Whoever you resent. Whoever you're prejudiced against. And I get it. I'm only prejudiced because they're immoral. I understand that. But understand that you are amazed at God's love for you. Why are we not equally as amazed for, with God's love for them? Something's wrong in our heart. We long for everybody to be condemned but our family. There's a gleeful joy in that. And that's what's going on with these Jews. And Jesus is saying, even to the Pharisees, so he has this quick conversation with Pharisees, then he turns to the disciples to talk to them and teach them about the kingdom of God, and he tells them that you're not going to see it in your lifetime, because, but when he comes, you won't have to wonder if he's coming, because it'll be like lightning. Everybody will know, but you're not going to see it. Why? Because some things have to happen first. And the first thing that has to happen is the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this, this generation. 
he looks at the disciples and he tells them that when the Son of Man returns, all will see it, there'll be no doubt, but the kingdom of God is alive and well among them. It's active. Can I, I want to share with you something. I, I've got to find it. I just looked this verse up this morning while we were worshiping because it struck me. There are those in Christendom that are saying right now that because, and I, and I know I'm picking on this, but this seems to be where the impetus is right now. So it could be any number of things, so bear with me. But there, there are those who are saying that because the church is disrupted, the programming of the church has been disrupted by this pandemic, that, that the church is losing. Okay? That is, being, that, that is being written on Facebook today by, by men and women of God. Might I remind you of John 16, that says, I have told you these things so that in me you'll have peace because in the world you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I have, past tense, overcome the world. You know, our victory, okay, the victory of Christ, <laughs> the victory of the church is not found in the church's programming. It's not found in we're going to meet. It's not found in how many people are saved. It's not found even in our growth. It's not found in the number of baptisms. It's not found in whether or not you feel good. The overcoming nature of the church has been done in the blood of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Have we forgotten that? When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before Nebuchadnezzar, yes, but they were willing to go in the fiery furnace. But if they wouldn't have, God would still have won. He can't lose. It's impossible for God to lose. It goes against his nature. And those of us who are part of his kingdom can't lose either because we're part of his kingdom. He's not part of ours. We've rewritten the story to make it about our faithfulness. And everything we have and everything we are and everything we will ever be is because of his faithfulness. And the Pharisees forgot that. The religious leaders forgot that. And I would argue the disciples forgot that because if you remember in the next week or two, so... So then they're going to go uh, back to the best of our knowledge. They're going to go back to Bethany, and he's going to have dinner with Lazarus, who's grumpy because he was raised from the dead, which means he has to die again. And I don't think he's happy at all about that. But then Mary and Martha, and it says people came to see that Lazarus was alive and that Jesus resurrected him. Then he goes to Jerusalem. In all that time, does anybody remember what the disciples are discussing in most of those occasions? In most of those occasions, you guys, and I know you could answer this, who's going to be on the right and left of Jesus? When you come into your kingdom, can I be the greatest? Hey, can I be your chief of staff? That's exactly what they're debating, exactly what you and I debate. If Donald Trump will be elected again and he gets a godly man on his right and he gets a godly woman on his left, it'll be great in this nation. No, it won't because the hearts of the people are sinful. You want to know how I know that? Because if we were truly a God-fearing nation, abortion would be outlawed. There would be no problem with homosexuality. People wouldn't be committing adultery in the church. We wouldn't have people writing things on Facebook that are unloving and alienate the very people we're supposed to be reaching for Christ because God would reign. Just because we make something law doesn't make it work. What makes it work is Jesus and the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit working within us. This is all God all the time. And without God, we got nothing, nothing. We got a gathering. That's all we got. But even without a gathering, we still have Jesus. Wake up, church. Somebody actually wrote me recently and said, I don't think the church is doing ministry as well as she should. That's your problem. I'm doing fine. Why aren't you doing what you should be doing? 
Are you waiting to be sent out? Well, you've been sent out by Jesus. Who cares what the church is doing? I care. I grew up in America. Do you realize that most of the references to God in Washington, D.C. were written by Thomas Jefferson, who denied the deity of Jesus? This is not a Christian nation. If you want to make it a religious nation, fine. But it wasn't centered on Jesus. It was centered on a God who was distant. And therefore, if we help ourselves, we will please Him and we'll have good lives. Rest in the Lord family. And the problem with this text is they're asking the same questions that we often ask. You know, when is the kingdom going to avenge us? When are we going to be when are we going to be the great Jews? And the disciples are going, when you set up your kingdom. As he's walking to die, and we'll get to this in the coming weeks, but as he's walking into Jerusalem, Jesus says, Okay, guys, I've got to explain what's going to happen. And this is like the ninth time he's told them. The Son of Man, I am going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to rise again on the third day. Does anybody remember, this is a real question, does anybody remember the disciples' immediate response to when he said that? Anybody? I'll tell you. Finally, he's speaking plainly. Are you kidding me? Well, I, I probably feel the same about Jesus an awful lot. I mean, every time he speaks in a parable, I go, what? But, but, they, but he's speaking plainly, and the disciples understood. But they still, hours after that debate over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Why? Because what they want and what God is doing are two separate things. What God is doing right now may not please your preconceived ideas and expectations for God, but they are still his plan. They are still his plan. And the disciples were perplexed by God's plan because it wasn't the huge following they expected. Remember, when the crowds leave, the disciples say, Jesus, the crowds are leaving. Don't you care? Because his attitude was less caring than theirs. And Jesus said, are you going to follow? Well, no. Why not? Because it's only in you that we have eternal life. Good, then let's go. The truth is, we follow Jesus, not just when he does what we want. We follow him because he's worthy of being followed and proven that he's followable. Even if it hurts us. So what's he doing? Why, why, why doesn't God rain fire down on, on the evil Romans? And you, all it takes is a, is a cursory reading of what Rome was like. From the bathhouses to the immorality to the, to the false gods teaching to the justice that was, that was pliable to the kings or the leaders, it was an evil culture. Why didn't God rain fire down from heaven on them like he did Sodom and Gomorrah? Because he didn't send Jesus to do that. John 3, 16 and 17 in the NIV says this, the kingdom work in the world at this time was this, God so loved the world that he gave, he sent, his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, which is what everybody wanted him to do. Oh, that's the Messiah, so condemn the world. Do you know why the Jewish leaders hated Jesus? Because he didn't condemn the Gentiles. He didn't condemn the Pharisees. Because he ministered to women, people like Mary Magdalene. He broke their rules. And because of that, they didn't like him. They didn't want him. But God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, God's kingdom work at this time, despite its evil nature, despite the prejudice, despite its injustice, was grace grace. It was, it was God's kingdom work through Jesus that grew out of his love for sinful mankind. That God's plan through Jesus was to solve or to, to offer a, an antidote to man's broken relationship with God. 
While the Pharisees and probably the disciples and probably many of us wish to see God rain fire down from heaven on those that make us angry because of their foolishness, their evil, or how they treat us or God, God's kingdom work at this time. In other words, he says, there's going to be no signs. What you don't understand is God's work is already being done. God's kingdom work is being done. What's he talking about? The work of grace. I'm here to do kingdom work. Well, that's not the kind of kingdom work we want, Jesus. Let me pick and choose who you're merciful to. We don't like that group of people. They're so disgusting. Their sin disgusts me. Tiger King, is that that guy's name? Never seen it. Is that the guy with the bad hair? Don't even know the story. My daughter's like, have you ever seen it? No. I I don't know that she's seen it. I'm not going to out her if she has. All I know is Jesus died on the cross for that bad hair guy. He loves him. The word world in Greek, guess what it means? Everyone. it, It just does. For God so loved everybody in the world. From Tiger King to Cleopatra to David to, I don't know, the people who tried to rape the angels in Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you realize why Jesus went and sent, or God sent the angels into Sodom? Do you guys remember why? It wasn't to get Lot out. It was to proclaim grace. It was to call them to repentance. Do you realize why Jonah, forget the whale, that's because he rejected God's plan for his life. Do you know what the story is really about? God sending a Jewish prophet to a sinful, wicked nation to tell them if they don't repent, they're going to be judged. Even the Ninevites were loved by God. And if you want to know how wicked they were, and the only knowledge you have of the Ninevites is veggie tails slapping each other with a fish, you need to go back and study them. They were evil. Really, really dark. Jesus loves ISIS as they were stoning Stephen to death. God loved the people picking up stones. The person you resent, God loves Nancy Pelosi. God even loves Donald Trump. He loves you. We just sang of how marvelous is God's love for me. I'd like to see Chad write that song over and put how marvelous is God's love for thee. It rhymes, that's why. We don't really talk like that. I'll get back to my text. This was not a unique battle, and, I, and, and this is where it gets really personal and relevant for us today. This was not merely a battle for the Hebrew people or for the disciples. This is a common battle within the church throughout history. I want to read for you what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, 8-14. to He's writing to believers in Rome during Nero's reign. You think you've got it bad. Imagine being a believer in Rome under Nero. If you want to know what that was like, watch the movie Apostle of Paul. Is that the name of it, Anna? The Apostle of Paul? Paul the Apostle. It's got the word apostle in it and Paul. And I think it's, anyway. But uh, it it shows you what life was like. It's incredible what they were enduring. But you must not forget this one thing, dear dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. What's the promise? Coming back. Just raining justice down. Avenging his church. That's the promise they're talking about. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Do you know that word everyone there? Do you know what it actually means in English? Everyone. 
Like every, every one. I, all the ones. Every. Every one. While some things aren't translated well, world in John 3.16 and every one in this passage is really well translated. He wants every single one to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. One day, on that day, he will see the heavens on, set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth, as he promised. Please note that he doesn't say we're looking forward to that judgment and watching people burn. He says what we're looking forward to is the new heavens and the new earth that he promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. You see, the church isn't supposed to celebrate in the judgment of the lost. The church is supposed to celebrate in the righteousness of God. Do you realize how backwards we've got everything? We've turned God's cross into a weapon. Well, you're going to burn. That's not to be celebrated. It's to be, it's to be brokenhearted over. What we are to celebrate about the return of God is His justice and righteousness reigning. We find our hope in God, His plan, and His kingdom. Verse 13. But we are looking forward to a new, the new heavens and new earth as He promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives, that are pure and blameless in his sight. My unsaved friend, God will rain fire down from heaven on all those who reject his offer to forgive their sins. I know you don't like to hear that. And I'm not talking about because you're gay or because you're an adulterer or because you like pornography. I'm not talking about he's going to rain fire down on people because of those things or because they've murdered or even adultery or, or abortion. That's not why he's going to rain fire down. I don't care what the church tells you. The reason he's going to rain fire down is because we are all under condemnation without grace. We do what we do because of what we are. You do not become a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. If you look at your life in the last two weeks, my Christian friend, my church-going friend, if you look at your life in the last two weeks and it is grounded in self-centered sinfulness, you have every right to question whether you are a child of God. Because what you do determines whose you are. What you do does not tell, does not, does, is not the determiner of who you are, but it's a life of fruit. We live it out. We long for the righteousness of God, not the judgment of the lost. He's telling them that I know you're tired, and I know you want justice reign. I know you want, I know you want heaven. I know you want God's righteousness. But God, be patient. Trust him. He's doing his work. What's he doing in the world right now? He's saving people. He's redeeming people, your children, your cousins, your aunt, your uncle, your neighbors. He's saving people. He's patient because he doesn't want anyone to be lost. My unsaved friend, today is the day of salvation. You will face judgment without Jesus. I know that's not popular today, but unless you repent of your sins and acknowledge he's the only one to save you, you will, in fact, if you die in your sins, be separated from him forever. I'm sorry. I wish it wasn't this ugly. We can slap Adam and Eve in heaven when we get there, but the wages of sin is still death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. If you want life, forget the church for a moment. If you want life, bow the knee this morning in your living room and you accept Jesus Christ's offer to forgive your sins. Acknowledge you're a sinner and he's the Savior and give him your life. And join us. Not the church, the body of Christ. We're different. 
I'm sorry that many of us are angry at you because of your sin. That's because we have forgotten our own. Thank God for mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. The children of God have received mercy by not being condemned. And we have received grace by getting everything we don't deserve in eternity. Put your hope in God. Church, I know you get tired and angry and frustrated. And I know some of you are thinking right now, Pastor, I get it. I want to remind you that the reason that God is working in the world today, and whether America stays a democratic republic or not, is completely up to God's plan. And whether or not... But whether or not the church survives it, that isn't even in question. The question is, will you be faithful to it? If, if your whole hope in the church is found in a government that supports church activity, then your hope is in the wrong thing. You see, our commitment to God is to pick up our cross and follow him, even if we live in China this morning. I should be willing to die for Christ. And that should be easy after giving my life for him. That's what Jesus is saying the whole time. You've got to give up your life for me. If you've already given up your dreams and hopes and your selfishness, giving up your life knowing what's beyond it is is easy. But the problem is I think most of us are holding on too tight, and that includes me. It includes me. I like my life. I I have the most beautiful grandson ever born. I have the most perfect children. My daughter-in-law literally hasn't touched the ground in five years. She she floats above above the surface of the ground. My wife is a literal angel. They have to put up with me. I like life here. I'm probably more like Lot's wife than I should be. So let's keep going. He's not done, is he? Luke 17, 26 to 30. We're moving along. I know you're on the beach and you want to get out there, so let me hurry. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. Oh my gosh, I've been so excited to preach this all week. Okay, Because right now, Hold on. I don't know why I drank water, but all the cool preachers do it. Okay. So I, I know you've heard this since you were a little kid in church, those of us who went to church. Oh, as it was in Noah's day. It was so evil. It was so violent. Those people were so bad. And that's usually what's preached at this point. But that's not what it says. Is it? He says, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. Verse 27 In those days, now Jesus is about to tell you the character of those days that it will be like when the Son of Man returns. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets, parties, weddings, right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed all of them. In other words, no matter how many times you've heard that, that, that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man returns, and we always talk about how evil, what he's talking about is how normal they felt to the world. He's not done. Verse 28, and the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. And oh, if you don't know about the days of Noah, you know about the days of Lot. Yeah, gayness and grossness and rape and evil. Actually, that's not at all what he's talking about. Look at the verse. People went out about their daily business. They were eating and drinking and buying and selling and farming and building. Until that morning that Lot left Sodom, they were doing that. Then, after he left, fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Verse 30, you want to know the characteristic, the one character you can be sure of when the Son of Man returns? Here it is. It will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Well, that's not what I've heard preached. I just read a really good book by Walmart that said you can tell because of these 52 reasons. That's fine, but it's not what Jesus said. Jesus said 
that it will be business as usual in the eyes of the world when the Son of Man returns. Completely unexpected. Wow. So, he's not done. Now he's going to make the point of this lesson for the disciples and for us, this whole God-ordained conversation, verse 31. On that day, when the Son of Man returns, a person will be out on the deck of a roof, and he must not go down into the house to pack. You know, I remember as a kid, and I'm confessing, I remember as a kid praying, don't come until I can drive. Dear Jesus, let me drive first. And then we went through the Josh McDowell series of Why Wait, and then I prayed that I could have sex, or be married. That's how it was in the church. I wanted to be married. Just let me, just let me experience that, God. Let me experience marriage. Then it became, let me have a kid. And now I'm like, wow, you should have come first. I'm kidding, my kids are perfect. But it's, it's always something because I like life here. I, I really do. Some of you are saying it, you're laughing at me and you're going, wow, those are silly things. But I would like to see the Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl. That, that's, that's not happening until the Millennial Kingdom. It's just, it's just not. The, the, the fact remains that we all want something. We all want something first. And he said, on that day, the person out on a deck of a roof must not go down to the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. And then he leaves it there. Well, what happened to Lot's wife? She's leaving with her husband and the angels, and she turns back and longs for the city. She liked life in Sodom. Don't like it too much here. It's okay to put a flag in your front yard, but don't love it too much. Don't love America too much. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. The Jews loved the Holy Land more than they loved God. The Jews loved the law more than they loved the God of the law. Don't love Christianity more than Jesus Christ. Be careful, because Satan wants you to be distracted from Jesus anyway, in any way you can, just to keep you from bowing the knee to him. On that day, a person, I read that, don't cling to your life. Verse uh, 33, let's start there again, Kevin. So he, verse 32, just to remind you, remember what happened to Lot's wife. Then he goes on, looking at the disciples in the eyes, very intense. If you cling to your life, you're going to lose it. And if you let go of your life, you'll save it. Whoa. In other words, don't live for this world. Stuff you own, where you live, who rules. Don't fall in love with this world as Lot did. Verse 34. That night two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour together in a mill. One will be taken and the other left. Jesus is saying, you focus on me. You keep obsessed with me. You pick up your cross and follow me. It's the same message he's been preaching, different conversation, same message. Don't be obsessed with what is happening in the world around you or what will happen. You follow me. This is very alarming to me, this text, because in my opinion, most of those who are teaching the return of the Lord is near is because they are mad at what's taking place, not because they long for the land of hope, God, and righteousness. I remember as a kid sitting and listening to some of Tim LaHaye's teaching on the end times. And I know every good message has to have an application, but I remember themes of different people getting up there and saying, and we can't let this happen. How nuts is that? If it's prophecy, it's going to happen. Do you realize trying to stop God's kingdom work in the world is exactly what the Jewish religious leaders were trying to do by killing him? We should be welcoming the kingdom work in the world. 
well, I don't like the kingdom work in the world. That's because you're too obsessed with you. You're like Lot's wife. We should be obsessed with the righteousness and plan of God. Well, it hurts me. Yes, it does. Jesus said it would. But take heart. You've overcome in Jesus Christ. Verse 37. The disciples asked the question, moving along. Where will this happen, Lord? They're too smart to ask when. He just answered that. Where will this happen, Lord? The disciples asked. Jesus replied, just as the gathering of vultures shows that there's a carcass near the by, so these signs indicate that the end is near. And as I've looked around, most commentaries, most preachers now talk about all these signs. And they go back, they ignore what Jesus just said, and they go back through and tell you all the signs of the return of the Lord. Earthquakes and famine and all of these things. When Jesus was talking about the signs he just laid out, could somebody please remind me of the signs that you'll know that the return of the Lord is near? When everything's normal. That's exactly right. When everything's normal. At which the church should go, well, that's every day. To which Jesus says, so be ready every day. Isn't that the parable of the good servant? Where he said, you serve while the master's absent, and when the master shows up, he'll praise you for your work, and then he'll serve you dinner. Remember that story? This all fits. Jesus' teachings are consistent. They're consistently telling you to leave your life behind and follow Jesus. That's what he's saying. There's nothing hard about this. We make it hard because we want a better answer than Jesus gives. That's scary, isn't it? And by the way, it wasn't just... Peter that said these things, and Jesus that said these things, and the Old Testament prophets that said these things, I want to remind you what was said by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5. Now concerning how and when all of this will happen, what is he talking about? The return of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come, what's the word? Unexpectedly. Like a thief in the night. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. When people are saying, now, look, he actually tells them what people are going to be saying. The world is going to be saying, oh, everything is so peaceful and secure. Oh, my gosh. You mean that every time I pick up a book during difficult seasons of the world, like the pandemic, and it tells me that this proves that the return of Christ is near, that they're wrong? I'm just telling you what the Scripture says. The Scripture actually says that it's when everybody thinks that peace and security is broken out. That's when he's going to come like a thief in the night. Jesus said when everything was normal, he came to Sodom. When everything was normal, he flooded the earth. When everything's normal, we're going, you're going to get yours. And God is going, I hope not. Not yours. I don't want to give it to them today. Today's an opportunity for them to come to Christ. Do you realize that your neighbors are scared of the pandemic? How about telling them about hope beyond the pandemic? Jesus. I love this. When everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. Not only are there no physical signs of the coming of the return of the Lord, except for the sinful decay, spiritual darkness, which has always been, but everything will feel normal apparently, and people will actually be saying in the world, peace and safety is broken out. Okay, nice message, Jesus. Way to go, Pastor. This is wonderful. Maybe I'll start drinking. Nah, Jesus said more to the disciples. And we can't let chapter breaks keep us from the good stuff. It gets better. 18 verse 1. One day, and some versions say, and then, uh, the, the best Greek says then, so it's like connected. Luke connects it. So then, so after he has this conversation with the disciples, may not be the same day, but they're walking. One day, some, then, Jesus told the disciples a story to show, so you get the lesson first that they should always pray and never give up. Why would they be inclined to give up in light of what Jesus just said? 
because it can be discouraging to watch us lose. If next, week, uh, next year in November the wrong group win, wins, you might think that America's days are over. Jesus is saying you should pray and never give up. Even if the other team wins. Even if you get coronavirus. Remember context. Remember the context. Okay, question. Where are they heading when Jesus says these things? Where are they going? Jerusalem. They're heading to Jerusalem, right? And what are they going there to do? Jesus is going to be strung up on a cross. He's going to be beaten. So while they're going, Jesus is going, boy, you guys are you're going to freak out. You're going to be in the upper room. Peter, you're going to deny me. Oh, boy. Okay, so what you see isn't really happening. Trust, trust me. I'm working kingdom work. The Son of Man has to suffer. He has to die. He's about to die. And by the way, I want to remind you that he didn't really want to die. He asked the Father to remove that cup from him. So while he is going to do things he doesn't want to do, he's asking the disciples to pray and never give up. He tells them a story. There was a judge in a certain city, verse 2, he said, who, ne- who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in the dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I am going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord say, said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to the chosen people who, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. You understand this, right? So Jesus is telling the Pharisees, who are discouraged, that he's not returning right away, that there will be no signs, that they can't keep preaching what they're preaching, Then he looks to the disciples and says, you're not going to know. It's going to be like it was in Sodom and Noah's day, that I'm already working in the world. In fact, you're never going to see him return because you're going to all die. And then he wraps it up by saying, here's what I want you to do, though. I know it's scary. I know it's tiring. Frankly, when I get to the garden hours before I'm arrested, I'm going to pray. Jesus lived out what he said because in the garden he asked the three best, closest friends of his to pray with him, and they all fall asleep. So Jesus tells them to do what he's going to do. Keep praying, keep annoying me and my father, and eventually justice will reign, but in my way. Number two, don't give up. Don't give up. That's the application of today's message. I couldn't improve upon it. If you don't know Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Don't be a fool. Do not die in your sins. Brothers and sisters, your problem is not the government. Your problem is not that the church houses are limited occupancy. That's not your problem. Your problem is you're not following Jesus. That's your problem. It's my problem. And if I am following Jesus, I need to keep praying and not give up. Keep praying. Keep annoying the Father he invited you to. Keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. Keep praying. It doesn't seem like anything's happening. It's not up to you. It's not yours to judge. You notice at the end of this, the last word of this text was quickly. We don't even get to define that adjective, adverb. Quickly? Well, who gets to say how quick? Not you. He's the definer of quickly. To him, a thousand years is a day. So what's that? He's only been gone for three and a half days? (laughs) 
So when you say, we're tired of being here, he goes, gosh, I've only been gone two and a half days. Wait till I've been gone four. Trust him. And believe that the kingdom of God is being worked out in the world right now. Let's close in prayer. Dear Jesus, teach us to trust and to wait. And may we have the fruit of the Spirit as we surrender control of our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful Memorial Day with your family. Thank you, those of you who have given loved ones so that we can enjoy this holiday. Have a wonderful week, everybody. We'll be in touch. So you thought you had to keep this up all the way.